Welcome to the VoiceOver Insider Podcast. For VO industry news, tips, and information, be sure to subscribe using the subscribe button on this site. I'm Gary McFadden, the podcast co-host along with Julie Williams. Today we're talking with Emmett Andrews, a voice talent and the author of VO Studio Companion, the home voiceover recording instruction manual. Emmett Andrews, welcome to VoiceOver Insider. Thank you, Gary. So we're going to be chatting today about studio acoustics, but before we get into that, can you briefly describe what got you into voiceover work in the first place and what types of work you specialize in? Sure. Um, I come from a radio background, like uh, like a lot of voice talent do, and um, I started in radio in 1997. Um, and I got into radio because I had an interest in audio engineering and a radio station was the closest thing we had in my hometown to a recording studio. And it kind of built upon that. And I was, I've always been really, really interested in the technical side of it. And uh, I was working with a guy who was doing some freelance voice work, a, a significant amount of, of voice work for, uh, I believe it was Fox, uh, Fox Sports maybe. And uh, helping him tune his sound and stuff like that, and uh, he he came in the next day and just handed me a wad of cash, and he said, "Hey, thanks for helping me out. Here's uh, here's a little bit of it for you." And I said, "If that's a little bit of it, how much are you making doing voiceover?" And he told me, and at that point, I decided maybe maybe I should shift a little bit of my interest uh, more toward the voice side. I'd already been doing commercials and stuff like that for radio. And um, I, it was something that I thought I could uh, that I thought I could handle more of, given the earning potential that I saw from him. Right. Um, and, and so and that was been, when uh, I, you've been handling or uh, getting uh, wads of cash ever since. Uh, yes, that's exactly how it worked. Uh, uh, no, but but to be perfectly honest, um, I I did I have had an easier go of making steady income from the voiceover thing than I have. Uh, ever with uh, my mastering or music mixing or anything like that. And and so from that angle, uh, yeah, it, it actually did kind of work out a little bit. But uh, now the uh, the fist wads of, uh, of cash never followed. <laughs> <laughs> I know you've recently moved into a new studio space, and I want to talk about some challenges that you faced during that move. But first, I wanted to ask some more general questions uh, concerning voiceover studio acoustics. A lot of VO talent seem to start out in a closet or the corner of a spare bedroom and then aim at getting into a booth uh, such as a studio bricks or a whisper room as soon as they can. But I've seen running arguments that booths, if not carefully treated, can sound boxy. And some familiar with studio acoustics suggest that you're better off treating a larger space, say an 8x10 room or even larger. What's your take on booths versus larger spaces? Uh, there is something to be said for a larger space. It's naturally a little bit easier to get a nice sound out of there. Um, you know, every room is a box and every room is going to sound like a box without some kind of treatment to it. Um, when you're working with a bigger space, all those walls are further away from you. It gives the the time the the sound time to develop a little bit. It it moves those early reflections a little bit further away, um, and so it's a little bit less boxy sounding to begin with. Um, 
to properly treat a, uh, a small space like a booth requires a lot of treatment crammed in there pretty tight. A, a, treating a, a larger space requires a lot of treatment because there's a lot of walls to take care of. Um, so either one can work great, but I am of the opinion that if you have the bigger space to use, um, you're going to have an easier time getting a good sound out of it. And you're also going to be more comfortable when you're working. Uh, you can move around more and, and it just breathes a, a little bit better. Um, both come with their own challenges. The modular booths are probably the easiest solution for most people because it doesn't involve bringing in a contractor to work with it. And uh, most general contractors, they don't, they don't really know how to do anything with acoustics. So it requires tons of research or hiring someone to help out. Whereas studio bricks or whisper room or whatever, you can just order that in and, and, you know, it, it gets delivered on a pallet and you, you get a buddy and you put it together and you're up and running. Mm-hmm. So in my own case, I went from a closet to a self-constructed booth, uh, roughly five by five feet. And then more recently, I treated a 12 by 15 foot room uh, with acoustic panels and ceiling clouds and bass traps and the like. Uh, I was told by several people familiar with acoustics that certain large diaphragm condenser mics sound better when they have a little room to breathe. Is that what you meant when you said breathe a moment ago? Yeah, the sound in general, and I wouldn't I wouldn't say just large diaphragm condensers, microphones in general, the more space that's around them, the better it is. Um, we we tend to get hung up on on booths because we see that as as a professional solution that's that's ready to go. But really, what we're trying to do with all of these is stop noise and mitigate the reflections so that it sounds like we're in a space talking like a human being, like we would talk to. Uh, somebody else and uh, talking into a mic in a tiny little box. That's not the way we talk to people. So opening up the room frees up some of that. And um, uh, for a lot of large diaphragm condensers, especially, and all mics in general, when the acoustics allow you to back up from that mic a little bit and, and really find where it performs best, without worrying about uh, these reflections coming off these walls that are two feet away from you, mics can sound a lot better than people think they can. So um, a, a lot of people who who say, you know, this $200 mic sounds like this $2,000 mic or whatever, if you put them properly in a nice open space and really find the sweet spot, they don't sound anything alike. And that's where you really hear the difference with those premium products is where they're able to perform their best. Well, you also mentioned uh, comfort when you were talking about the differences between booths and and larger rooms. And from my own experience, uh, that five by five room, I'm a svelte uh, 240 pounds, six foot four. And uh, I was uh, I was really happy to move out into that larger room. I think I think comfort has a huge amount of of, uh, of impact on performance. Um, if you don't like the space you're in, if you're thinking about, well, if I can just get through this, then I can get out of this booth. You're not going to put on nearly as good of a performance as you will if you just like being where you are. If if the lights are right, if the size is comfortable for you, if the temperature is right and the air feels fresh, you're going to be a better performer. 
Um, so from from that standpoint, the the environment is important beyond just the sound and the treatment and and stopping the noise. The the comfort level can really directly impact what uh, you know, what comes out of your mouth. I'm going to segue for you here a little bit because you you had mentioned MySpace. And uh, truth be told, I hate where I'm standing right now. Um, I, I did buy a buy a, a house this summer um, and it was sort of a almost an, an on a whim type thing. Um, and so I didn't really have time to do a lot of planning. Um, and I have not because of uh, expenses with lawnmowers and dying refrigerators and dying, uh, dying dishwashers, I have not had a chance to build out my studio the way it needs to be done here. Now, I'm, I'm very fortunate that uh, my family is very understanding of what I do. And uh, when I take over a space and I say, this is my space, keep your stuff out of it, nobody has any problem with that. Um, and so I've, I've taken over pretty much the entire basement and that basement was subdivided into different rooms and uh, I was just able to acoustically treat this one small room I've got in here that's uh, oh I don't know it's about six by six six by seven something like that and that's where I am right now and that's acting as as my booth and you can hear it's it's pretty quiet in here it works pretty well um, but it is not soundproof it's not where it needs to be and um, you know, I was talking about lighting and comfort. None of that stuff is right in here. But I'm, you know, I, I could rush out and and get some sort of solution together that would work. But I really want to wait and make sure that I get it right. I've got a a space in my house. Um, it's a you know, it's a house from the '70s, and it's got one of those sunken living rooms. And I want to wall off the thing and turn it into a very large, nice studio area that's done right from the ground up. So you mentioned soundproofing, and a lot of people think of soundproofing and acoustic treatment as the same thing, but they're really very different. Right. Those lines get blurred a lot. So in this space, um, it's pretty quiet to begin with because I'm, I'm underground here, and uh, I do have to ask anybody in the house to not walk above me while I'm, while I'm working in here. Um, because the the ceiling has not been soundproofed. But really, aside from that aspect, all I really needed to do to make this usable was hang acoustic panels in here. And that keeps it from being reflective. It keeps the sound from bouncing around. It, it has a nice tone to it. But it doesn't do anything for keeping out outside noise, which is why I have to, you know, if I've got a, a session coming up and people are freely roaming in the house, I have to say, hey, can you migrate over to this room for the next hour for me? Um, and again, I'm fortunate they're very understanding of that and very cooperative. It's never a problem. But, you know, when I, when I do this room properly, when I convert this, uh, this sunken living room properly, um, it's going to involve legitimate soundproofing, which is uh, the stoppage of noise from one area to another, in this case, stopping the noise from everywhere else in the house and from outside from getting into what will be my studio, um, which the only way to do that is with construction. And and so it's going to be tearing out all the walls and rebuilding them properly with multiple layers of drywall and installation uh, insulation. 
um, and you know, possibly resilient uh, channel in the ceiling to decouple the the ceiling from the room above. So it's uh, it's very different. And then once all that's done, then I have to go back and I have to properly acoustically treat the thing so it doesn't sound like a box, which is going to involve uh, absorptive panels, possibly some diffusion, definitely some uh, some base absorbers to deal with the the low frequency content and and uh, you know resonance that can build up in rooms. Yeah, it sounds like quite an undertaking eventually. But I mean, you're you're sounding great where you are right now. I'm very happy that it had some place that I could just take over and work. I, I kind of tossed this together um, the weekend that I moved in and only planned on working in here for, I don't know, a, a month, maybe a month and a half. And I moved in in July. And so it's it's dragging on longer than I would like um, because nobody warned me that that owning a house, everything breaks and everything is expensive. Um, and so that's just, that's just where my budget has gone. And because this is usable, it's functional. Um, it, it hasn't been a dire emergency that's, uh, that's worth taking out a super high interest loan on to get the job done. I can, I can wait a little bit and, um, you know, get a, get a little cash in my pocket, do it right. And, and not have this horrific loan hanging over me. That sounds like a better approach. So when it comes to treating a space, you go into detail in your book about the two most common methods of treatment, which are acoustic foam and absorption panels constructed with materials such as uh, rock wool and rigid fiberglass insulation. I see a fair number of pictures on the various VO forums that, uh, that, that have these booths almost completely lined with slabs of acoustic foam. In your opinion, is there a problem with using only acoustic foam to handle uh, sound reflections? I really hate acoustic foam. To be perfectly honest, I I try in in the book to be uh, to to remove my bias from it as much as possible. I really dislike acoustic foam um, because where the voice lives, where the voice fundamental lives, acoustic foam isn't isn't helpful at all. It doesn't it doesn't absorb anything at all. It cuts down the high frequencies where our ears are pretty sensitive. And so we immediately hear the difference when there's acoustic foam and um, people hear that and think that's good enough and slap it on the walls and, and call it a day. Um, and then there's also the appearance. Some people think it looks cool, but especially in those small spaces, that low frequency information where the the human voice fundamental lives, it just continues bouncing everywhere. So you get this terribly tubby sound that some people call booth sound, um, where you don't even hear it as reverb or reflection. It just tonally doesn't sound very good. Um, and that's those those low frequencies continuing to bounce while the high frequencies are all are all sucked up. When you go to Acoustic paneling that's based on something like uh, you know a rigid fiberglass or rock wool, something like that, you can make those where they absorb a lot more in a lot more linear way. So they get a lot more of that low end without disproportionately sucking out a huge amount of the high end, and it just simply sounds better. It just it's just cleaner than acoustic foam. And when you hear the two back to back. There's no comparison. Now, acoustic foam is good because there are times that 
there are places you need to reach where panels just, they just won't go or they're just not practical. And for spot treatment and stuff like that, it's it's a viable option to stop a, a little high frequency bounce if there's no room for a panel there. But anytime you have the option, acoustic panels are going to be the better choice. Okay, so if you're going with the panels with the fiberglass or the rock wool, which, as you say, absorb the lower frequencies or the or where the voice is, do you still need to add some foam panels to absorb higher frequencies? Not really. Uh, the panels will will do that pretty much as well as acoustic foam. They'll just get the low frequencies also. And uh, acoustic foam, when you keep adding and adding and adding, it just it just keeps uh, absorbing more and more and more of the high frequencies. Whereas the 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 panels tend to not overabsorb the high frequencies, but still uh, essentially absorb everything. It's it's kind of a difficult thing for me to to quantify, but there is no real necessity for acoustic foam in any case unless it's just functional because there's no panel that will fit there or uh what you're what you're attaching it to doesn't have the structural integrity to hold a panel and you need something there um and in those cases foam can be pretty helpful because it's lightweight it's easy to work with it's easy to cut to size Mm -hmm. um much more so than than panels um but if anywhere panels can work Panels are all you really need, um, varying thicknesses, but for the most part, you can't really go too thick unless you're in a space where you just go too thick and the space gets too small to work in. Okay. Um, the thicker they are, the the more you build them out and space them out, the more low frequencies they're going to deal with, and it just gets progressively better. Um I, I don't think, and I'm I'm sure somebody could prove me wrong. Um I think it's really, really hard to over-treat with acoustic panels that are are built properly. Um, I don't think there's such a thing as too many of them in a voiceover booth, whereas with acoustic foam, there is such a thing as too much foam where it just completely sucks the life out of the sound and there's no high end and it almost sounds muffled. Um, you don't really get that with uh, with acoustic panels and, and bass absorbers. They don't They don't really overdo it. So this term bass traps gets tossed around a lot in acoustic discussions. What constitutes a bass trap and how is it different from an acoustic panel? Okay, that's a really tough question. And it's one that uh, uh, in my book, I don't, I don't even really get it right in the book. The, uh, what we commonly refer to as bass traps and uh, and uh, what manufacturers often refer to as bass traps really aren't. They're bass absorbers. They are, are designed for low frequency absorption. A true bass trap is uh, it's got a, a a resonant membrane that resonates at a low frequency, and uh, and then does not send that resonance back into the room. It it literally traps and uh, traps the bass in that device, in that, that piece of acoustic treatment. For all intents and purposes, for, for what we do, nobody is really using real bass traps. We're just, we're using bass absorbers and, uh, and we kind of toss that term around interchangeably. So most of the time when people say bass traps, they're talking about uh, these low frequency bass absorbers. And for the most part, all those are, are quality acoustic panels 
that are built a little bit deeper with a little more absorption and can reach down a little lower and grab some of those lower frequencies. Okay. Um, there's also the, the corner style bass trap, which is just denser acoustic foam that gets stuck in a corner. And in that particular case, that's one area where I do like acoustic foam. Um, because I do like those, uh, like the Oralex Leonard traps, which are just big wedges of, of dense foam. And the reason I like those is because in a small booth, in a, uh, uh, say, a four by four booth or, or even a little bit smaller than that, where space is really limited, um, they can help control some of that low end in, uh, in a room that is otherwise very hard to treat that you don't want to make any smaller by by building out the walls another six inches on each side mm -hmm. because then you'll be cramped in there um they can go into the corners where it's not really going to affect the working space very much and they do a, a pretty good job of sort of balancing out that low end that uh that tubby boothy sound um so i do end up recommending that quite a bit for people where they've got a pretty small booth and it's got that that tubby sound it's a really easy, quick fix for them to just order a pack of those and stick them wherever they can, where it doesn't impact their performance. Well, I want to say that I'm sorry I didn't have access to your book, uh, VO Studio Companion, when I first got into voiceover, because it would have saved me hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, and going down some unnecessary rabbit holes. Uh, we've been discussing acoustics today, but in your book, you also cover microphone selection and placement, interfaces, preamps, uh, recording software, post-processing, and a lot more. This is a book every VO talent or aspiring VO talent should have. Where can our listeners get a copy? Easiest way is to, uh, to go to Amazon and do a search on VO Studio Companion. Or, or if you feel moved to do so, search Emmett Andrews, and it should be the only thing that comes up. Okay. Well, Emmett, I regret very much to say we're out of time. I want to thank you again for sharing your knowledge with us on the VoiceOver Insider podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Take care. Have a good one. <laughs>